Ah, this is the Sports Report, wherever you may be or however you may be listening. Thanks for making us a part of your day. Broadcasting live in San Luis Obispo, California on KCPR 91.3 FM. I'm your host, Matt Kreiser. So much to get to. It's Super Bowl weekend. Atlanta Falcons against the New England Patriots. Will Roger Goodell, commissioner of the NFL, be forced to hand over the trophy to Tom Brady after the Deflategate scandal? We'll get to all of that in a fantastic Super Bowl preview with Cousin Berg, our resident NFL expert. But first, I want to start off the show with a special guest. We've been wanting to have him on for a while now. It's Cal Poly Athletic Director Don Oberhelman. We don't always get a chance to have someone like this come into the studio. So, Don, we're really grateful to have you in this morning on the Sports Report. Thanks for having me. Now, I want to start with this, Don. The business side of your job. You know, we've had a lot of donations in the past few years, a lot of upgrades to Cal Poly Athletic Facilities, including the Tennis Complex, Mount Athletic Center, and Baseball's Baggett Stadium. Now, you've just announced another major upgrade, something new, the new practice field for the football and soccer stadium adjacent to Mott Athletic Center. It'll cost about $4 million. How do you keep finding more money for these projects each and every year? You just keep upgrading every year. We've been we've been very blessed the last few years to to get some of these projects off the ground. We will be doing more construction for our athletic program this summer than has ever been done uh, at Cal Poly. We've only been Division One for 25 years, so it's a little bit misleading when I say something like that. But uh, even with the new construction at Spano Stadium that was done about a decade ago, these projects that we're doing will be much larger. And the other cool thing about like the practice field to me is one of those that I'm I'm, I'm even more excited about it. It is not really a sole. It's not a solely athletics project. It's right. for the university community. So students mm-hmm. are going to use that practice field. Of course, like the tennis courts or like the track, the track, and all those things are accessible. A- absolutely. So I look at it as an investment in in Cal Poly, not just with our Division One student athletes. It's it's an investment for everybody. So, yeah, our football team may be on it from six a.m. to nine a.m. Yeah, our soccer team may be on it at you know three o'clock in the afternoon or whatever that looks like. But outside of those times, it's going to be lit. So if there's intramural flag football or something, uh, you'll see that on it probably at 8 o'clock at night, 9 mm-hmm. o'clock at night, middle of the afternoon, open rec play. If somebody wants to go play Frisbee or throw the football around, they can sure do that. No dogs. That's our only kind of okay. request is we don't want any dogs on it. Uh, but outside of that, it's really going to be um, you know, for all students to be able to utilize, not just student athletes. What have you done, though, to change this? Because a lot of these renovations have come under your leadership. Are you personally reaching out? Are you making these connections? Are you pulling these people in? Or is it just the university as a whole has really on the up and up with its well, it's, alumni it's base? Bit, it's a little bit of all, all of those things that you said. I mean, I, I think we're, we're certainly making a, a strategic effort to get in contact with alumni who may be interested in these kinds of projects. Mm-hmm. Um, universities partnered with us, so we didn't. So we're not raising all the money for the football project. Associated Students is going to help us. Student housing is going to help us because of the new dorms coming in online okay. over there. So it, it truly is a partnership with the baseball stadium, for example. That's mostly former baseball players that have ponied up the seven million dollars for that project, mm. and that is solely funded through athletics. Um, and and reconnecting with some of those folks. So what, what happens with Cal Poly, and, and I think most of our students realize this. It's hard to stay in San Luis Obispo when you graduate. Of course, yeah. And what happens is we lose contact. So if you're UCLA, half of your alumni stay in the Los Angeles area, the, the, you know, the greater Los Angeles area anyway. For us, that doesn't happen. They, they scatter. And we have to find ways to reconnect with them because they leave life, family, job, all these things gets in the way. And, and our, our uh, associate athletic director, Ashley Offerman, whose primary responsibility is raising money, 
has done a remarkable job connecting with those former student athletes and reminding them what it was like when they played here and that we need to provide our current students a much better opportunity than what, what they had. Cal Poly Athletic Director Don Olberhelman joining us. Don, what I hear from coaches is that you provide a lot of stability. I had a strength coach, Chris Holder, on the show, and he said that he was in a little bit of a toxic environment at San Jose State, a lot of turnover, uh, just not the leadership that he's looking for. Is it is it that you value that stability, or are the coaches that I'm having on just performing to a level that you're satisfied with? Both. Um, I, I think I think having a, a steady hand on the wheel is, is important, but... Um, we've got really good people in our program. There's no question. But I think one of the differences between Cal Poly and maybe you know other universities is we genuinely love it here and we want to stay here. This is not some stepping stone for most of our coaches and our staff. Mm. Um, That's and, important. It, it, well, it, it's 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 key. It's critical um, that that somebody's not got their head on the swivel looking for the next job, hoping to move what what you would consider moving up. And there's two reasons behind that. One is this is just a wonderful place to be. We all know that. Uh, and two, the type of students that we have are just different. We're not recruiting the same student athletes that other places are. We're not recruiting against um, uh, Cal State Fullerton, for example, who's in our conference. We're, How is it different? Well, we're we're recruiting against the Ivies, we're recruiting against UC Davis, and we're recruiting against the service academies. That's the type of student athlete that we get here. So uh, those those type of students are just a joy to work with, and they're they. Our student athletes embody more of the values of our of our our student athletes embody more of the values of our of our students than I think what you'll see at, at, at other places. And what I mean by that is, you walk into a classroom at Cal Poly, our student athletes actually belong in that classroom mm-hmm. with the rest of the students here. There's a lot of valedictorians here at Cal Poly. You go to a place like, you know, maybe USC or UCLA, and I, I think that gap is pretty wide. Yeah, our students are participating. I think under your leadership. It's been half of all students have maintained over a 3.0 GPA. That's quite an accomplishment. And I had linebacker Chris Santini on the show in the fall, and he actually transferred. And when he he mentioned academics as part of the selling point of coming here, Mm -hmm. and he transferred over from Boise State, you know, a coaching change. He got lost in the shuffle a little bit, so he's looking to transfer somewhere. And he chose Cal Poly. He really believed in the academic side. So that's something you really are selling. It's not just something that goes on the marketing campaign. It's not just slapped on there. It's something you actually believe in. We, we like to, our, our word follows our deed. And what I mean by that is when, when these guys go and get recruited, let's use football, let's use Chris as, as an example. When Chris was going on all his recruiting trips, he's hearing from coaches left and right, hey, academics are important. You know, it's academics first and da-da-da-da-da. And then they get there and they realize, well, one, it's not a very good school. And two, um, I never really have to study and my classes are easy and I'm here to play football. And at Cal Poly, it's it's not that way. We don't have some general studies major to throw our dumb jocks in. We have real majors at Cal Poly. So our football players, our basketball players, whatever, they're majoring in engineering. They're majoring in business. They're getting a real degree here um, that, that they're earning just like every other student at this great university does. And you worked at some of those bigger programs, Texas A&M, Florida State, early on in your career. How is the size also a factor in what makes athletic programs different? Well, you know, you, you mentioned a couple of programs that have, I guess what I would say would be pretty close to limitless resources that we're, we, we don't. Now, that comes with some challenges, too. It's, 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 not a, it's a double-edged sword in a way. And here we just don't do those same things. And I'll give you an example. One of the biggest arguments I had at one of those other universities with one of the coaches was wanting to hire a, a 50 students, regular students, 
to go check class for the student athletes. And what I mean by that is to make sure the student athletes are going to class. Okay. That stunned me. I'm like, we're going to have to hire people to make sure. Isn't that your job? Isn't that the student athlete's job to and go to class? how do you sell that item on the budget line to the donors? I, I couldn't. <laughs> it was, I, I, I just couldn't believe it. And of course, you know, they do it. They, they have students right. that go check student athletes to make sure they're at class and report back. And, you know, that's not something I ever want to do. To me, if, if I got to worry about a student athlete going to class at Cal Poly, you're not going to make it. You're going to flunk out in one quarter. So uh, it's not something I've ever wanted to engage in, and those aren't the type of young men and women that we want to recruit anyway. So we want we want somebody who's going to be a student first with athletics as an avocation. Cal Poly Athletic Director Don Olberhelman joining us now. Some of his accomplishments under his leadership, first NCAA men's basketball appearance, first NCAA women's basketball appearance, a number one national ranking in baseball, along with the first hosting of an NCAA baseball regional. They've also won their first Big Sky Football Championship while he has been athletic director. Let's talk about some of the relatively new coaches here at Cal Poly. One of them, Steve Sampson, the men's soccer coach, completed his second season in the fall. He's a big name in the community, U.S. men's national team coach in the past, also a manager of the L.A. Galaxy. How do you bring in such a big name and convince someone like that to work at Cal Poly? Well, it it wasn't that difficult. I, I'd like to say I'm some amazing recruiter or salesman, <laughs> but Steve, this is a job that he wanted. Um, he was a terrible negotiator because he told me that up front, that he wanted the job. Um and we didn't really interview anybody else. Steve is a is re, is one of the finest American-born soccer coaches ever. Um, if you, he's still the only American to ever coach the U.S. national team, if you can believe it. We've, we've always had foreigners wow. coaching. He's the only one to coach U.S. national team who's, who's a U.S. citizen. Um, won a uh, MLS Cup with the LA Galaxy. The, I mean, he's he's an absolute bad. I I love everything about the man. Uh, if my son played soccer, there is no way he's not going to play for for Steve Sampson. Um, he, he's he's been a, it's been a blessing to have him. His first year, we went to the NCAA tournament. We kind of felt last year might was going going to be a little bit of a tougher year, and it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, we lost four players straight to the MLS all last year. Names. All big names and unbelievable players. So you do that, you're going to take a step backwards. But I think recruiting's going very well. The guy's just a, a phenomenal coach. And one of the things I love about him, and, and I can say this about all our coaches, he really is a teacher. He's an educator first. And and any student that gets to know him a little bit will fall in love with this man right off the bat. He really cares. And um, he's just a wonderful man and a wonderful ambassador for the Mustangs. You say it wasn't you, but Todd Rogers, beach volleyball, <laughs> 2008, 2008 yeah. gold medalist with Phil Dahlhauser. Another big name. You brought him in. It's his second year with beach volleyball. Yeah. Uh, again, I, I'd, I'd like to take a lot of credit for that, but I can't. Um, you know, Todd Todd is a legend in beach volleyball circles. And he's, he may be one of the finest beach volley, volleyball players of all time. He's been dabbling in coaching, but he's also been competing this whole time. And he's finally stopped competing. He's retired from the, from the pro beach volleyball circuit and from uh, the United States national team. And he's... He's, he's been a real blessing for our program. Um, it's a new program, but it's one that I think will be nationally relevant in top 25 and in a short order. We've put in a bid to try to host the NCAA National Championships mm. here in Pismo. Um, to be honest, that's one of those things that we're, we're just not going to get many opportunities to host a true national championship event. Regionals may be here and there, but the national championships, uh, hopefully we'll have in Pismo Beach in 2019 or, or 2020. And Todd is going to be a reason why we have that opportunity, not only to host, but to even play 
and that final eight grouping for the national title would be a tremendous accomplishment for Cal Poly. That would be that would be special. But we got it. So you've got those big names in there. But we I got to contrast that with another coach, Coach John Saritas. He's the new wrestling coach. I had him on. I really liked him. And he's a different archetype than those other two coaches. He's a young coach. He's fired up. He's proving himself. But you also said earlier that it's not a stepping stone. He's someone who's come up the ranks fast. He comes from Grand Canyon University, a program in and of itself that's skyrocketed in the last 10 years. Definitely. Talk about John. Like, How do you decide when to hire someone like a John and when to pull back from the legends who are retired and have been out of the sport like a Coach Sampson? Well, you know, there's one thing that's similar about all three of them, and it is we it's we, we kind of went rogue. And what I mean by that is we didn't really follow a traditional search. Um for the beach volleyball, once we found out Todd Rogers was going to be interested in Sam Cross and our head indoor volleyball coach takes a lot should take a lot of credit for that because they've they're friends and mm-hmm. have known each other a long time. Um, with John, when I say we went rogue, I didn't do a committee. I didn't have I didn't talk to people. I didn't ask outsiders. I just kind of I went to New York to the NCAA national championships, put my head down, and met as many people as I could. And uh, John was the guy that I kept gravitating towards. Wrestling. Is, Super charismatic guy. Oh, he's unbelievable. And and it comes off. He exudes energy and enthusiasm and positive energy. And I don't know how you can be a successful coach and not have some of those same traits. But John, uh, he's different than most wrestling coaches. And, I'll, I'll, and I'll, I'll, I've got a 30-minute speech I can give on why. But um, wrestling is a, is just a very different sport. It's kind of like pole vault is in track. It's like diving is in swimming. Okay. You have to have a unique personality to participate in this because it's just so raw and intense and individual. If you screw up, you can't blame it on the center fielder missing the fly ball or whatever right. it might be. It is just you. And um, to coach that sport, I think, is a real challenge. And some of those guys bring a very unique personality to the table and it's very, very hard for them to, to be professional and also coach wrestling because it is so intense and so violent in so many ways. Um, John has the ability to go into the wrestling room, into the martial arts room here at the, here at the rec center, coach the, kid, coach the young men on our program, yell, scream, throw down, wrestle them, throw them up against the wall, whatever he needs to do. And then later on, he's got a sport coat on and he's doing an interview with, with you or KSBY or he's going to academic senate. And I trust him to be able to represent us very, very well. And to me, that was one of the unique things that set him apart was the ability to interact with donors, with faculty, with the student athletes, with everybody. And so many people in that particular sport cannot do that. So I'm so fired up about that guy. I can't even, I can't even contain myself. I'm so fired up about <laughs> no, that guy. No, he's, he's, a, he's a fired up guy. So tonight, you know, we got basketball doubleheader against UC Davis. First the woman at 5 p.m., then the men at 8 p.m. It's blackout night. How do you see these promotional things peaking and increasing student interest? You know, that's been a real interesting dilemma for us because um, student attendance has been something that, that we've struggled with in some sports and others we haven't. So everybody focuses on the Santa Barbara soccer match. Yep. And that's great, but that's not enough. But how do you build a culture? So, And that's what we're trying to do. A culture how do, where I, the students, it's cool to go to not just the Santa Barbara match, but... Every soccer Go to match the next because one. they're one of our flagship programs. A- absolutely. Um, so for basketball tonight, I think the blackout stuff is, is is great, those kinds of things. Anything we can do to try to encourage our students to be more participatory, less apathetic, uh, really participate, not just in athletics, but everything this great campus has to offer. There's so many unbelievable things. And no offense, but your generation is becoming a little bit more and more apathetic as the years go by when it comes to 
things that aren't cool. Is going to a basketball game and screaming at the top of your lungs cool or is it not cool? Most of yep. the time, ah, maybe it's not cool anymore. I don't care. Come. It's awesome. You'll have time of your life and you'll want to come back. Uh, and it's entertaining and it's 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 a fun product. And, you know, everybody on this campus has a friend that's a student athlete. Come support them uh, and, and show a little school spirit. It's it's And, of course, it's UC Davis, those dastardly Aggies. Uh, and both their men's and women's programs are very, very good right now. We're struggling with our season, just to be honest. Both both programs are – women are middle of the pack and men are towards the bottom right now in the Big West standings. But um, that said, it's it's a fun product. We've been competing very, very well. A lot of close losses on the men's side. I, I think we could be as high as third if we'd had the ball go our, go our way a couple sport. of times. And we're without our best player. He's sidelined due to injury. Right. Um, so I, I want I want people to come out and support these 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 young men and women tonight. Um, I think they'll they'll find that they have a great time. You know, my memories from college, real quick. Some of the funnest memories I have of my undergraduate experience is those shared experiences with my friends. And oh yeah. It's, and it's usually a concert or a sporting event. Oh, one of my favorite memories, bar none, absolutely was rushing the field after beating Santa Barbara last year in the <laughs> Blue Green Rivalry game. What a game. So much fun. So much spirit. Cody Wacasa's header. Something I'll never it's forget. Unbelievable. Yeah. unbelievable. And, and th- those experiences are what's going to drive you when you're, for- when you're my age, when you're in your 40s, thinking about your college experience. No offense to all the faculty. You're probably not going to think about too many classes. You're going to think about the social aspects of being a student in this wonderful place. So we talked about grades a little bit earlier. We talked about the importance of academics importance of academics in the national sports media we constantly hear about you know these scandals these academic violations duke louisville notre dame is it hard here at cal poly is that why you recruit out of high school people you know will be able to handle academics here well it it's no i i don't think that's really the main reason the main reason is we just need to have students who can compete academically so when you sit in a classroom you're smart we need to make sure the student athlete sitting beside you that has to do the exact same work is also smart. Otherwise, they're not going to make it here. And if we recruit student athletes who can't be academically successful, then we're going to fail as a program, no question. So we can't go get the best athlete in the state of California. So if the finest football player in the state of California wakes up tomorrow and says he wants to come to Cal Poly, our first question is, what are your, what's your grades and what's your transcript look like? And, and that's just the nature of who we are. And most other programs, they don't do that. They just say, yes, come on. Um, you know, it, it's important. The, the, the NCAA has a bunch of different majors for it. They've got academic progress rate and graduation mm-hmm. rates. And I'll give you an example. Uh, Cal Berkeley fell. They were the bottom of all four-year, of all Division One universities for their football graduation rates. They are considered a top five public university in the United States. Yep. So they were not honoring their academic mission we will never do that at Cal Poly. We're never going to recruit the type of student who can't be successful. Does that mean everybody who recruits going to graduate? No. Just like every student who comes here doesn't graduate. But we need our student athletes to mirror the graduation rates of the overall student population, and they do. So does that start to blend into your actual strategy on the field? Because let's take football. Football, I hear you're going with more of a speed element, less of a size element, where you can train speed. I talked to Chris Holder, the strength coach. Does academics start to have an influence on how you want to play on the field? Does it influence the way Tim Walsh, Tim Walsh's team is going to play and what their strategy is going to be going into a season? Because you can only recruit certain guys. Absolutely. I, I would say yes in every single way that does impact how you compete. 
So for Joe Calero in our men's basketball program, it means we're going to be undersized most of the time. Um, for football, it means we're going to be undersized. Mm-hmm. Now the speed element, it, it's interesting when we play people, um, you know, one of the things I always get comments on is they were unprepared for our speed. They didn't realize how fast we really were, mm-hmm. um, which, which goes into what Dr. Holder was saying about how they train. Um, you know, and, and I could go on and on and on. Every single sport is going to be that way, that that's who we have to recruit. And, and I, th- I think it's why you're probably not it's, – it's going to be hard for us to win a national championship, let's say, in uh, women's basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that is due to some of the academic – Just a little bit with UConn. Have. Correct. Uh, with the academic uh, requirements that we have here. And, and another part of it is it's just that's not really ha- why we fund our program. Um, we're not funding our program – to, to, to just bring in the best athlete. We're funding our program to bring in the best student. And and that's going to continue. That is never going to change here as long as I have anything to say about it. Don Oberhelman, Cal Poly Athletic Director, joining us. Don, you're the chair of the NCAA Division One Legislative Council. You also are tasked with the review of amateurism within the collegiate model. We see in terms of basketball, guys are going overseas to China Someone like an Emmanuel Moutier a couple years ago goes to China for a year and then goes pro. Should those guys be playing? Sell me on why those guys should be going to college, or should they not? Should they just, if they don't want to be an amateur, should they just go overseas? Well, in, until the NBA changes their rule, I, I, it is what it is. And and for that that guy, I still think he would be better off coming to college because of the, the experience that he's going to have. But if he is not willing to go to class – then he did exactly what he needed to do, which is he needs to go make money and play basketball. Um, I see that from time to time. You know, Kentucky gets a lot of negative publicity because of the one and done. Um, Everybody thinks that's an NCAA issue. It's actually an NBA issue. The NCAA would prefer that doesn't exist. Hmm. The NCAA wants them to stay in school. But when they become draft eligible after their first year of of college, they're going to go. I mean, and I think any of us would. I I, I don't understand – I guess I don't understand the criticism that people have of, let's say, the the somebody at Kentucky. Um, they're the number one overall pick. They leave school after one year and sign a you know forty five million dollar five year contract. Um, find me somebody who wouldn't drop out of school for forty five million dollars. We've seen some right. of our tech giants have done that, absolutely, and, and it wasn't guaranteed money like the NBA mm-hmm. is. So right. uh, I don't think we can ever begrudge. Um, you know, some of those folks for not, not completing college. Now, they do miss out on the experience and they do miss out on the human growth and development that I do think occurs. I've, I believe that 18 to 22-year-old range is the most important part of your life. Others mm-hmm. disagree. I think that is the most that, – that is when you have your – that is when you formulate yourself as a person. And I think if you're riding on a bus with too much money, flying around the country playing basketball games, you miss out on – some of those growth opportunities that only come from living in a dorm, uh, making college friends, et cetera, et cetera, you, you really do miss out. Now, international players, let's talk international players coming to play college college sports. I see a slight uptick in international mm-hmm. players coming to Cal Poly playing sports. I know that helps with the competitiveness, but different coaches have different philosophies about how many international players they want on their teams. It's taxpayer dollars for a public school there's scholarships i know there's a lot of private donors as well but do you let your coaches have a say in how many international players they want is that at their level or do you have a quota above that we're not going to have more than x international players on our team 
it's for a particular sport. I, I want it to be 100% up to the coach. Now, obviously, budget has something to do with that because an international scholarship, like an out-of-state scholarship, is more. Mm-hmm. So every sport has a budget. So if you can afford to recruit, in the case of Joe Calero, young man from Poland, let's go do that. Yeah. Um, if you're track and you want to recruit somebody from Canada, that's up to you if you want to do that. Um, what we have found is the international student athletes are very well prepared for the academic rigors of Cal mm. Poly. Um, and we have found in, in almost every case as well, the, the competition that they've encountered in their youth, you know, high school, in a lot of cases, club sports, is also very, very good and at a higher level than what we have in the States. So um, they when they get here, they're ready to go. They're ready to compete in, in both the, the court, field, whatever, but also in the classroom. So I actually think you'll probably see more international student-athletes coming to Cal Poly, and I I think that's only a great thing for the campus as a whole just from a diversity standpoint. Um, I, I, so I'm, I'm not encouraging it by any stretch, but I'm leaving it up to the coaches, and I see them leaning more and more that way. Director of Athletics for Cal Poly, Don Oberhelman. Don, last question. If you could have one thing done to upgrade the facilities, upgrade anything, what's one thing you want to see happen at Cal Poly? I, I would have to say a new Ma Athletic Center completely revamped. What would what would be your just a completely new center there? Because the strength the strength room is in there. It's a little cave. It's a little bit small. What would what do you want to see? Well, you said it. That's it. Uh, every single student athlete utilizes Mod Athletic Center for sports medicine, for academics, and for strength and conditioning. Um, having a new space would be just tremendous. That's it's Mod the arena itself. Mod is you know, over 50 years, I think it's 60 years old now. Mm-hmm. Um, it is it is old. I don't know another way to put it. It is old. And and we need we need to start thinking about what's next. Um, I think a newer arena would help with our attendance and our participation from our students. Um, I, I think we probably missed the boat on being able to combine it with the rec center 20 mm-hmm. years ago when all that was first being done. Um, all those people are gone now. It's nobody's fault, but I, I do think we, we may have missed a great opportunity there that I can guarantee you this administration between associated students, Marcy, between president Armstrong, between Keith Humphrey, our vice president, the provost, myself, we're not going to miss that opportunity when it comes again. So we we're ready for that opportunity. And I just don't know how, what shape it's going to come from. Is it going to be student fees? Is it going to be, uh, the state's not going to come in and say, here's no. $80 million to build yep. something. So um, we definitely need some help from fundraising, and we're ne- going to need some help from our students. The location is great. It's right Perfect. in the center of campus. But is there enough room, though? Is there enough physical land to fit everything you want? I think there is. I think there's plenty of room right there. Um, we, we do have 550 student-athletes, which is, which is a, a higher number than average. Average is probably about 375. So it's a lot of people, but... Um, we've proven we can win championships out of that building. We need a little bit bigger weight room. We need a little bit bigger training room. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, the arena itself, if we could have a 5,000-seat arena, I would just be beside myself mm-hmm. um, with the things that we could do. It would help us with recruiting. We would be a much, much, much more successful basketball and volleyball program by being able to compete in a better venue. Well, Don, we really appreciate you coming Thank on you. the show. Don Overhelman athletic director for Cal Poly. So much has been accomplished under your leadership, and we really appreciate you stopping by. Thanks for having me. Coming up after the break, Cousin Berg is finally back. Yes, he is returning from his long hiatus to be here with us live on the Sports Report on KCPR 91.3 FM to talk Super Bowl Sunday. Atlanta and New England, who does he have? You'll find out next. 
Well, it's been far too long. Cousin Berg is finally back, our resident NFL and betting expert. Cousin Berg, thanks for joining us on the line. Super Bowl weekend is finally here. I know. I'm excited. Thanks for having me on. I had this realization this week and last week. I was recovering, a recovering Pittsburgh fan, and I realized that Tom Brady and Bill Belichick and the Patriots, they aren't bad people. You know, Roger Goodell helped make me think that was the case, but if you listen to their interviews, if you just, like, get to know the Patriots, I think I just wanted to hate them because they're good, but I think think every fan in the NFL has to come to the realization that these guys are just really good and that a lot of us are just really jealous. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, when it's part of the growth of an NFL team, fan. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Absolutely. It's there's always in every sport. It's how the Yankees are. It's how the Lakers and the Celtics are. It's all these teams. There's always the good teams that have been historically good for a long time, and no one likes those teams because when your team isn't winning and they're winning every year, it's frustrating. But yeah, I, I'm 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 having the self realization too that I don't actually hate the Patriots either. So it's a historically good offense, the eighth best offense all time in terms of points scored per game, the Atlanta Falcons, versus the New England Patriots, a team that's just solid in all areas, really. Who do you like in this game? Well, kind of just going with some of the stats, the last the last four teams that have gone into the Super Bowl, ranking in the top five in points scored uh, all time, they all four of them lost. Uh, this is the fifth time in NFL history that the number one scoring offense has gone against the number one scoring defense, mm. and the defense is four and one against in that scenario. Okay. Uh, and then you're looking at here, you're looking at a Patriots team that's been here seven times, this is their seventh time now under Brady and Belichick, and the Falcons team who's never done anything. So, I mean, I, I think all the all the signs are pointing towards the Patriots team. They're pissed off. They want to shove it in Goodell's face, no matter they what do. anyone says. I think I think there's too much going for them in this scenario. I'm taking the Patriots as well. There's a couple of things that I like. First of all, I just like the way they play, and I love their receivers. And something interesting I saw this week is that it's expected and reported that the referees are going to let the DBs play physically. And I think that really favors the New England Patriots because New England Patriots players are quicker. They may not be the fastest. They're no Julio Jones. But when you have those amazing players like Julio Jones— Physical play helps bring them, make them more human and more even with your DBs. Whereas, no one's going to match Chris Hogan and Danny Amendola and Julian Edelman's quickness. They're going to get off the line and they're going to find their pockets. That's not about physicality, am I right? Yeah, but I also think it's different. When you look at a guy like Julio Jones, he also has a four, he was four three nine forty time coming out of college. He can jump. He can it can do everything. So. It's, one of those scenarios where I think that that's hard, and you got their other receivers and Taylor Gabriel is a speedster, and Ronaldo. Yes. I, I think they're gonna they're gonna come out with some crazy things here. You're you're gonna double Julio. That's not even a question. He's gonna get double teamed. I think you put uh, Butler on uh, Gabriel and just take Gabriel out of the game, and then hope that Logan Ryan can set down Mahomes new. I think. I think it's just going to be a, a interesting strategy here that the Pats are going to have to put out. But they they got that three-headed monster at linebacker that's done well filling against Jamie Collins. So and they they got a lot of players that can they they have a lot of players that can play different positions. And when you have that kind of flexibility, your team can be do really well. But if I had to push you on this, wouldn't you say that a more physical allowing the DBs to be more physical helps the Patriots more than it helps the Falcons? Yeah. Yeah, but you I just think, don't think, I think it's a defining it's, it's, factor. I mean, you're taking the Patriots despite this. 
Yeah, and I think it's different than if you're playing the Seahawks, where the Seahawks play physical and now they can get away with it. I think that's a different ball game. Whereas these teams start, even though the Patriots have the number one scoring defense, they're not necessarily an elite defense. And so I think, I think it's not going to set them over the top. But it, it, it I think it's going to hinge on the running game of the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, Devonta Freeman has been looking for a elite to be paid like an elite running back. Now, Cousinberg, on this show, we don't do it like all the other shows. I've gone through all the footage, all the stuff from Super Bowl Media Week, and I'm not just going to play the typical pundits. I'm going to play the people that are more interesting. Everyone talks the same on the media. But one of those guys who talks a little bit differently is Tim Tebow. Here's what he had to say about the Atlanta Falcons genuinely care about someone i want to go compete with you and for you i don't just want now want to win for my own selfish love or the gratification i want to win for you i want to put that pass on the money so that together we can share that moment that moment that's special and it's so interesting when you hear people (laughs) you know the atlanta falcons mic'd up how many times you hear i love you man yeah. I love you. It's real. I mean, you hear it might- It's a little funny, but, I mean, we got to play the stuff that's not the typical stuff, right, Cousinberg? Absolutely. You can get that <laughs> other places, but you, you don't come to us for that. You don't come to us for that typical stuff. We're going to play Tim Tebow talking about love. Here was Tim Tebow on Josh McDaniels. He is amazing. He yeah. is a great coach, and he, I, I think there are very few that are superior or equal to him as far as understanding a defense, being able to relay that information to his quarterback and tell him what is going to come. On third and three, you will get this, and this is how they will match it. On third and seven, you will get this. And guess what? Most of the time, he's right. Yeah. And when I say most of the time... Was Josh McDaniels the only thing that kept Tim Tebow in the league? And following up on that, is Josh McDaniels gone next year, or is he going to stay with the Patriots? Uh, well, one, I think uh, Tebow was just kind of a fluky thing. I don't think it was Josh McDaniels. I think Tebow just had his little run, and I think he was out of it. I don't think he was the real deal. But well, I, I think we can agree on that. Me. Yeah, I don't want to become too much of a Skip Bayless on this and go one way or the other. But <laughs> I, uh, I think McDaniels stays. I think the I think the opportunities that were right for him was going to a place like the Rams would have been a good place. We could have a young quarterback in Jared Goff, or going to if it would go to the San Francisco trade for Jimmy Garoppolo or do something along those lines. I, I don't I don't see him going anywhere. I don't think the right opportunity is out there yet. But maybe next year. I, I yeah, I don't know. He he wouldn't leave. I don't don't leave the Patriots for for an opportunity that's not perfect. And I think I think if uh there's there's certain places that would be the right fit, but I don't think it's out there yet. No, you have to be careful as a coach. Like even Bill Belichick got fired in this league when he was the coach of the Browns. You have to wait for that right opportunity. And I think Josh McDaniels is a really good coach and he needs to wait and be careful. Here is LeGarrette Blunt talking about Atlanta's defense saying he's not gonna sure if he's not sure if their will will actually break. You know, I'm I'm not I'm not sure, you know, if they're one of those defenses that their will breaks. Mm-hmm. You know, um I think I think there's I think those guys are gonna fight sixty minutes. They're gonna play to the end. So um I'm just gonna I- and a little fun fact, too, from LeGarrette Blunt. He was one of the stars for me in, in the media week this week for the Super Bowl week. But at the same time, yeah. you know, Dion is the only one here that's 16 and 0 with this team. He ain't never lost a game that he's played in here. Deion that's Lewis- something I didn't know. Dion Lewis has never lost a game as a Patriot. So is that stat going to continue, Cousinberg? It will. <laughs> I, think, I think, one, he's just a, he's a good player. He's a good football player, and he's, you know, he was looked over different places. He's had trouble staying healthy, but he's so dynamic. He, he can run. He can catch passes and open field. He's been very, very hard to tackle and just keep in front of you. I think 
he's an extremely dynamic player because I think there's a lot of players that can catch the ball or can run the ball effectively, and he's one of the few that can do both really well. Yeah, I thought he was going to be the guy who was just going to crush the Steelers. I thought that the Steelers were going to lose to the Patriots, and I thought it was going to be him. I thought it was going to be backs catching the ball out of the backfield, but I guess we just wanted to drop into a zone and lose that way. But either way, no worries, right? No big <laughs> yeah, deal. Exactly. Yeah, it's might as well. happen one way, yeah or the other. one way or the other. So your favorite, Roger Goodell, he had a lot to say during his annual press conference at Super Bowl week. He wants to make a couple of changes. I want to run through them and get your take, up or down. He wants to speed up the game. Do you think that's a good idea, the length of an NFL game during the regular season? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So he wants to do, yeah, he wants to do a time limit for kickoff. He wants to speed up the length of – he wants to shorten play in between extra points. I think both of those are good calls. And then he wants to do something weird. He wants to use Microsoft Surface Surface tablets for replay reviews. Is that just going overboard with sponsorships and revenue? I think they should be doing it more how MLB does it or even how NBA does it. I think there should be a central replay center, and I think they should just go to that. I, I think it's stupid that the on-field refs are in charge of this. I think it should be a, a non, not, uh, non-involved non party outside of it, and then they can make the decisions much quicker. I agree. I feel like at home, you can sit at home and see the replay in five seconds and realize what happened and what didn't happen to find somebody else who can do it better than you. Yeah, they're going to cut the referee announcement that a play is under review. I'm fine with that one. Don't want the referees yeah. to get too famous. Don't want an Ed. How do you pronounce yeah. his name? Ed Hoochily or whatever? Ed Hockley. Ed Hockley, yeah. We don't want yeah. any more ref celebrities. And then uh, they're going to reduce <sighs> the number of commercials. This is my favorite part, from five per quarter to four. Okay. I'm all for that. And then they're also going to reduce commercials uh, in between from the PAT – to the kickoff, all that type of stuff. I mean, it doesn't take a genius. The Baltimore Ravens owner, Steve Biscotti, said this. It doesn't take a genius to know that it's annoying to the fans to have to deal with all those commercials at certain points in the game. I agree. I, I think I think it's a balancing act, too, though, because the shorter the games are, then the more uh, they need it's not less play time, and then you got to worry about player safety in that scenario. So I think those are, because when you have bang-bang plays and you don't have time in between to catch your breath, yeah, even do things, that's when people get hurt. So less rest, I think yeah. it's, it's a balancing act, but I definitely think games are too long. I think, I mean, looking at high school and college, college games are way too long. You're stopping the clock after every first <laughs> down. I think that's yeah. ridiculous. That you're getting four-and-a-half-hour college football games. It's that's a balancing act in business, too, because they're cutting down on the number of commercials, but they're betting that that's going to increase ratings. Ratings dropped 8% this year. It's an interesting way, interesting thing to bet on. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's uh, push and pull from those scenarios for sure. So here's Roger Goodell talking about Deflategateberg, your favorite, and then I want to get your take. It's um, been a violation. Uh, we went through a process. We applied the discipline uh, in accordance uh, with our process. We have a job to do. There was a violation. We applied a process and discipline, and we came to a conclusion that was supported by the facts and by the courts. If I'm invited back to Foxborough, I'll come. We have been very transparent about what we think the violation was. We went through a lengthy process. We disagree about that. But I continue to respect and admire Robert, Jonathan, the entire organization. They are an extraordinary organization. The funniest part is Robert Kraft, the owner of the Patriots, is sitting in the front row just mean-mugging and staring at Roger Goodell. Goodell's the worst. I hate him. Like, so much. He's just such an idiot. He's so dumb. The courts ruled that the Patriots didn't do anything wrong. The courts, courts ruled that there was nothing that was able to be proven. The only thing the courts ruled in favor of the NFL is that Cadell has the power to do whatever he wants, which is just stupid. But that's not his fault. 
See, he's, he's an idiot. He's just an idiot. I was really disappointed that Tom Brady decided to serve the suspension because if his appeal was taken up, it would have been taken up by the Supreme Court. It was already in the federal district courts. And how cool would have that been? I think that would have happened in 2016 as well. 2016 was such a crazy year. We have Trump elected. We have the Chicago Cubs winning the World Series. And we could have had Tom Brady in the Supreme Court. I'm a little disappointed. Uh, I'm just, I'm sick of it. I'm ready for it to be done. I, I literally am <laughs> so sick. It's been, it happened, what, three years ago? That's two, two years ago, three years ago? Like, that's, can we be over with this? That's why I just want the Patriots to win and just be done with. They win the game, it's over with. You don't ever have to deal with the play game ever again. Yeah, Tom Brady was just unwilling to deal with all the chaos that 2016 brought. He just decided to serve a suspension. So say it ain't so. Say it ain't so. I'm a little disappointed in a couple guys, Le'Veon Bell and Devonta Freeman, two of the elite running backs. Here is Le'Veon Bell discussing his close friendship with Steelers fan Snoop Dogg. Good grief. Well, um, I say at least once every two weeks, you know, um, you know, me and him are definitely in contact, definitely during the season. Um, we talk a lot, um, you know, and obviously, you know, he helped me with my music and things like that. So, okay, this is what we call a bad thing. Le'Veon Bell was suspended for smoking the weed. Twice. What? Do, twice. Yeah. Well, one time he missed the test because he would have failed. But he, so he failed twice. A third time he's going to be suspended for a year like Martavis Bryant, the receiver that would have actually helped the Steelers have a shot at making the Super Bowl. So Le'Veon Bell, why is he such good friends with someone who constantly posts videos of himself high on Instagram in Snoop Dogg? I mean, growing up in that culture, it's, that's he's a celebrity. He's a legend. He's what everyone, I mean, that's what everyone wants to aspire to be. I feel like it's, it's a hard thing to do, especially like, New Dog's been around sports his entire life. He's always been at different college football teams' practices. His kids play sports. It's, he's just somebody you want to be around. And, and from all reports, too, he seems like a really genuine good guy. Yeah, he, he is. Weed, but... Which is not smart. And that's, I mean, I, I think it's dumb. If you're going to get, if you're a professional athlete, you're going to get caught smoking weed multiple times. That's not, you're not very smart, clearly. You could be a good football player, but you're not making the best decisions. It's just discipline. I don't even care if the NFL legalized smoking pot, and then they could smoke pot. But if it's illegal, why don't you just have some self-control? That's my that's my thing. It really doesn't it doesn't bother me whether he smokes pot or not. It's just, why can't he control himself when the rules are the way they are? Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely the thing. It's not. I, there's no condemnation at all for smoking weed, but it's follow the rules. Yeah. Like, don't don't be an idiot. Don't be getting caught doing things. Which, hey, I, I'm all on board. I think it should be legal. I think it's better than painkillers. I think it's better than what a lot of people have to do. I think smoking weed should be legal. I think it should be encouraged, actually, for most football players because it's better means of recovery and health. But you know what? That's a, that's not my decision. That's good old Roger's decision. So, Cousin Berg here on the Sports Report talking with us about the lead-up to the Super Bowl this weekend. Atlanta Falcons will play the New England Patriots on Sunday at 3.30 Pacific time. You can catch it on Fox. So another say it ain't so, Devonta Freeman. We, we had uh, Cal Poly Athletic Director Don Oberhelman on earlier in the show, and he was talking about his time at Texas A&M and Florida State. Devonta Freeman was a running back at Florida State, and the media was trying to softball Devonta Freeman into how he was such an academic achievement, how he graduated early from high school, and then he graduated early from college, and then it just completely goes downhill, Cousinberg. Yeah. Yeah, I graduated early from high school and college. Yeah. Yeah. Great thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, 
Well, actually, no, matter of fact, I'm sorry about that. I left college early. I didn't graduate yet, but I'm still taking classes. Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay, Cousinberg, I thought that was pretty funny. Now, you're our resident betting expert, and I want to just get your take on the spread before we go here. We're running out of time. Where, where are you going I, with the spread? I know where you're going with, with the game. I think it's I think it's perfect. I think that's the right line. I think I still think the Patriots will win by more than three, but I think you know, Patriots being favored by three is the, the exactly right line. It basically means they're even teams, but the Patriots get a little bit of an edge for uh, having the experience. I think I think it'll be more than that, but I think you can't you can't make it any different than that because that's that's exactly right where it should be. Yeah, straight up. Interestingly, I saw this on five thirty eight. Only Pittsburgh and Green Bay a couple of weeks ago in the divisional game are they're the only upsets straight up in the NFL playoffs this year. It's been it's been pretty it's pretty been pretty smooth pretty much smooth sailing. Who did Pittsburgh upset? Pittsburgh upset Kansas City. Oh, the Chiefs. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Just slight favorites. Yeah, yeah. It's been it's been a very very boring playoffs from a gambling standpoint. Even from from every standpoint, there's been one close game. Okay, well, Green Bay Dallas was great. That that was a great game. That's one of the all time best games. Yep. Other than that, though, I don't know if there was any good game like at all. No, I agree. They were all horrible. Like yeah. they, were, it was just not. It was not a fun playoffs. And so, I'm hoping, and I think, I think it will. But I think this Super Bowl will make up for it. I think this is going to be an all timer. I think it will be. Cousinberg, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Stay tuned. Nate and JB are here in studio to talk NBA and the upcoming All-Star Game. You don't want to miss it. Right here on the Sports Report on KCPR 91.3 FM. Welcome back to the Sports Report on KCPR 91.3. I'm Nate Edelman. And I'm JB Garcia. And I know it is Super Bowl Sunday this upcoming Sunday, but we still have basketball going on, and we'd like to share that with you guys. Yeah, not really much going on in the association, I guess. Uh, in this past week, uh, the headlights have been driven by this feud that we're seeing between Sir Charles Barkley and King James. So... Charles Barkley just likes to rag and rag on LeBron James and LeBron James I have I haven't he had enough. Yeah, basically LeBron just came out and said uh I'm not going to let someone ruin my legacy like like he's trying to do and uh called Charles Barkley out for, you know, being in trouble back in his day in the league and uh Charles Barkley just kind of was like, "Oh yeah, he did some research and I guess that's cool. I'm going to let it be." But, you know, LeBron's been in the headlines a lot lately, you know, for calling his team out, this feud with Charles Barkley, his desire for a playmaker. So the Cavs signed Mario Chalmers. Um pretty pretty interesting of LeBron and his turn from last season to this season. All eyes are always on LeBron James, and this year's no exception. This year, I think he's becoming more of like an angry dad than ever before because he is just, you know, harping on his teammates and just expecting the re- the best of them, especially with the uh, Warriors uh, looking at uh, the standings right here. We'll say that a little later, but the Warriors just really just destroying and dominating. I think like LeBron's worried that he's going to be embarrassed. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think he's scared to play the Warriors in the finals after seeing what? they can do i don't know if scare is the right word i just think that he just feels his team is underprepared like he is he is just um knowing that his team isn't ready so i don't maybe maybe a little scared but just less just frustrated and upset 
That's that's what I would think. Yeah, the Cavs posted uh the wor- I don't want to say their worst. LeBron's worst month uh since he's been in the league since 2003. Actually, I think it's been since 2006. They posted like a 7-win month, which is not by any standards that LeBron follows. The uh the Sixers had a winning month in January and the Cavaliers did not. Yes, I did say that with a straight face. That is the truth. So there's definitely a lot to worry about with LeBron James. But once it's the, I think once the Eastern Conference uh, uh, playoffs start, the Cavs are going to just roll and things are going to start to turn back to normal. But until now, all th- this is the storyline. Yeah, and uh, not really much uh, elsewhere in the league. Uh, you know, the Lakers did bring back Michael. Uh, Michael Magic Johnson into their front office as a special assistant to uh, Miss Jeannie Buss. Uh, hopefully they make some moves, and even Kobe offered to help uh, a little while back. I don't. I don't think it's that surprising that Magic Johnson is an advisor. I don't know what really he's gonna do. I, I just know that he tweets very, very generic things that are very funny. But it's. Well, I guess we'll see. Maybe he uh, talks to D'Angelo Russell, Brandon Ingram. Gives them tips, pointers, but it's it's maybe it's a cry for help. I'm not really sure what that move is because the Lakers are very very after they started ten and ten they definitely dipped down. Yeah, it was actually kind of surprising and very happy that they actually got a win uh, earlier this week. Uh, played really well, and you know now it's it was just kind of that seeing. The flashes of what we saw early in the season, their their potential as they held off the Nuggets one twenty to one sixteen. But you know, it's just this lack of consistency that we see with this Lakers team. Uh, really has fans worried. Uh, are they going to trade? Are they going to tank? Uh, what are their what are their plans for the future as they move on for the rest of the season? They're going to be taking on the Wizards uh, later this week and yeah the storyline for the lakers and we keep saying this but it's still holds true who is going to be that guy for them is it going to be d'angelo russell uh, he's a little injury prone is it going to be julius randall uh, he's a little reckless is it going to be brandon ingram we're not sure but he's shown some flashes so will the lakers get another draft pick this year and find the guy why well, we'll see it, it it didn't help that they traded that steve nash trade still bites him but it's it's still a wait and see for the Lakers, and a lot of their points this year are going to players like Nick Young and Lou Williams, who aren't going to contribute to the team in the long run. So it's short-term success in a way, but long-term, a lot of question marks and a lot of uncertainty. But the one bright spot I have to say, because a little Laker homer out of me, is uh, Zubats. He is doing really, really well. He is... I believe he's getting a couple double-doubles the last few games. He's very smooth. He could run the floor, and he could be a pleasant surprise. And after giving Timothy Mozgov the big contract he got last summer, um, Zubats might be starting, which just shows how kind of messy the Lakers are. Yeah, and he's playing really well. Uh, Luke Walton is finally giving him some good minutes. He put up 17 points against the Nuggets. He's just You can just see the potential coming out of this 19 year old 19 year old uh uh, out of croatia i believe and he's playing well it's good signs for the lakers as we always talk about their young core and their future um we're gonna give you a standings update 
uh, as we always do. Uh, in the West, uh, no surprise, the Golden State Warriors at 42-7, and followed by the San Antonio Spurs, the Houston Rockets, the Clippers, the Jazz, and rounded out by the Grizzly, Thunder, and the Blazers. And now we see th- the Thunder have actually dropped out a little bit, which is uh, surprising. They're kind of in a log jam between the Grizzlies and the Blazers. Um, you you don't really want to be the 7 or 8 seed in the West because you have to play the Spurs or the Warriors in the first round, which is, I don't want to say an automatic exit, but it definitely feels like that. And it, it is surprising that the Thunder aren't um, keeping up or maybe, but the teams that are better than the Thunder right now, you could easily justify it. It's not like the Thunder are an amazing team this year without Kevin Durant. It's just they are a, a fringe playoff team with an all-star, but just guys around him. And it's now it's starting to show more than ever because of the drop in the standings. Yeah, and the the difference in the record may not show it, but it's easy to tell that sometimes the Thunder are just overmatched. I agree. Moving to the Eastern Conference to give an update. No really moves, but it's a little bit at the top. We have the Cavs, the number one seed, not super surprising, but the two is the Boston Celtics, which is a new addition. Yes, Isaiah Thomas has literally been putting the team on his back and scoring and showing how clutch a player he can be in the fourth quarter. I still can't believe that Isaiah Thomas was the last pick in the 2011 draft. There are 59 guys and then Isaiah Thomas, and it's crazy how the— the last guy ends up being one of the most impactful. And Isaiah Thomas, I is it is it bad for me to say that he could win MVP? Uh, you know, I don't think he necessarily is in that MVP conversation just because of the the season that James Harden has been ha- having and as well as Russell Westbrook posting up so many triple doubles. But he is in the mix. I would say he gets some at least some votes in there. Maybe like one or two first-place votes, and then mostly second-place votes. After the Celtics, we have the Raptors, Wizards, Hawks, Pacers, Bulls, and Hornets. So no really shake-up heading into almost the All-Star break. Are you excited for the All-Star break, by the way? Uh, it's going to be interesting. Uh, the West definitely has uh, – I mean, the, the East definitely is very guard-heavy. Uh, it's going to be interesting how they match up against DeAndre Jordan and Boogie Cousins. But as everybody pretty much knows, that the NBA All-Star game is pretty much a joke, and they don't really care. And the high scoring, like we're seeing scores in the 150 range. but I'd say like I always like try to get in 10 minutes, and then I'm like, okay, this is kind of a, a joke because no one's playing defense. But it's an All-Star break, and this is where we are in the season. But anything... What else? What else is going on? Uh, there's been a few minor trades. Uh, nothing really. The Bucks uh, traded Miles Plumlee to the Hornets for Roy Hibbert and Spencer Hawes, which uh, just a minor trade. I, I don't really see uh, too much of an impact coming out of that trade. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, the Cavs signed Mario Chalmers. Uh, to be that dynamic playmaker that LeBron so eagerly wants. Um, he really, really likes Chalmers. Yeah, and, you know, Chalmers was on that those Heat teams that won two rings uh, in, the, in the early 2010 era. And, uh, yeah, there's kind of been a quiet week. Uh, we saw a, a pretty good game coming out of Kawhi Leonard. 
uh, dropping 38 the other night. Um, Joel Embiid has been proving that he is probably one of the best big men in the league right now, just kind of inserting himself into that conversation. Um, just to give an update about Carmelo Anthony, he is still on the Knicks, and yes, he is still a problem. Um, the Cav, the Cavs said that they were interested, but they didn't want to trade Kevin Love. So I don't know. I doubt anything's going to ever happen with that. But that is the update, and we have currently the All Star All Star break is in a couple weeks, and over the weekend it'll be announced um, who will be in the dunk contest, um, who will be in the shootout or three point shootout. So keep an eye for that. Maybe you'll see your favorite player or your favorite team on there. Yeah, and looking forward to that dunk contest. The an NBA D League player was actually invited to the dunk contest. So just interesting kind of thought provoking thing. Could a person could a player who essentially has zero NBA dunks win the NBA dunk contest? I honestly think he can because it's dunking is an art and playing basketball. My favorite dunks are dunks during a game. Yes, there there are fun dunks like an Aaron Gordon dunk in the All-Star game, but when you're watching a game and someone uh, does a tomahawk dunk or a poster dunk over someone else, that gets you off your seat and that gets you hyped, I would say, just because it, you're, it's in the moment and that's what dunks are to me. But I I definitely think he could win. I think that he I'm going to root for him. Oh, definitely. And I don't know, there was a lot of great dunks that we saw earlier that Paul George over Clint Capella when they played the the Houston Rockets earlier this week was a phenomenal dunk and I think some of Russell Westbrook's dunks are some of the best I've ever seen uh, just on the fast breaks and pushing it up the court and you know just a lot of energy and emotion coming out to um we want um the dunk that just keeping going on dunks. The dunk that impressed me was Andrew Wiggins' dunk. Um, I I'm not sure against the team, but I maybe he gets in. Just to, I think that it should be about the young guys. And if LeBron ever says yes, he should do it. But I I doubt he will. Yeah, uh, just kind of going off of that. What would be your dream NBA dunk contest lineup? Ooh, I'd say. Well, this is maybe this is an easy answer, but I like to bring back Zach Levine and Eric Gordon from Aaron Gordon from last year, and um, Larry Nance. That'd be fun, maybe because I'm a Lakers fan. Um, those are my top three. How about you? Dream dunk contest. I would go uh, a young Kobe Bryant, uh, Michael Jordan. Ooh, throwback. Yeah, throwing it back. Some Dr. J. Uh, and uh, a young Vince Carter. Yeah, Vince Carter definitely has probably, he's probably uh, known as the dunker, but um, that is all we have for this week in basketball. Maybe next week there's a trade, some drama happens, maybe more LeBron talk, but as of right now, this is it.